So a disclaimer up front. <laughs> this message is incomplete. This message is, is partial. But I intend for it to be. It's part of a longer conversation that we're going to have as we continue through this story of Jonah. But I think we need to slow down a little bit as we move forward so that we can understand fully and completely later. So this is incomplete. Uh, don't leave today and think that this is it. Okay, there's more coming. This is just the first part. As we start to walk through Jonah chapter 3 particularly. Because the story began, if you remember back in Jonah 1 verse 1 and 2, this was a story about God and the Ninevites. And then because of Jonah's running from God, because of his disobedience, it became a story or a sub-story about God and Jonah as he pursued Jonah uh, with a storm and as Jonah was swallowed up and then spit out. But now we're coming back to the original story or back to the original uh, purpose of why the story was told and that was to consider God and the Ninevites. And so I wanted to share this diagram because it makes complete sense in my mind. But I think this is a great diagram, because I made it, <laughs> to understand this process that occurred in Jonah chapter 1 and 2, but then also what's about to occur in Jonah chapter 3. Okay, It occurred first with Jonah, Okay, and now this same process is going to occur with the Ninevites. And I want us to see the similarities and see how that happens. It began with sin, right? Jonah was running from God. Jonah was spiraling down, down, down. And you can see that this takes a turn down. And in this downward spiral, running from God, then Jonah found himself in this place of judgment. He was, he was captured in the belly of a fish. And in this place of judgment, as God had pursued him, then he faced death. We looked at that last week. He came face to face with his own death. His life was ebbing away. And at that point of death, he repented. Right? But God. Okay, we spent a lot of time focused on the but God. So in this judgment, captured by the fish, he experiences and comes face to face with death where he then repents. And this repentance, but God, he receives God's mercy. And in his mercy, he spit up on the shore and he experiences and he proclaims God's salvation, God's rescue. Okay? Everybody with me? This is the same process is going to happen with the Ninevites. And if you look at it, there's a section of sin and judgment. There's a middle section of death, facing death and repentance. And then there's a final section of mercy and salvation. I see it in my mind in three different sections. And so today, as we start with the Ninevites, we're going to start on this first section or this first part 
It's incomplete. It's not the complete message. It's not the complete story, but it is a part of the story. And it's how the story began with Jonah. It's how the story begins with the Ninevites. And it includes this wonderful word, judgment. Everybody with me? Now, remember... As we follow Jonah and as we follow the Ninevites, the point of this book, of this story, is that we can better understand God and we can better understand ourselves. And so before we move forward in the story, I want us actually to consider ourselves. I want us to continue that together. And so what I want to do is I want to show you some images. Wait just a moment. Hold on. Uh, I'm going to turn down the lights so we can see clearly. But I'm going to show you some images. Some images of some different people. Some different groups of people. And I want you to consider how you feel. What is your response when you see these people. And I don't want it to be, well, what should my response be? Or once I correct how I feel, I know this is how I should think in church, but how is it that you actually feel when you initially see these images? And I want you to consider, is it a feeling of judgment? Or is it a feeling of mercy? Or is it feelings of both? How do you feel? Not what do you think, not how do you correct yourself, but how do you feel? Okay, next. 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 I believe that's it. So think about how you felt. How did you feel when you saw those different images of people? And those are general. None of us personally know any of those individuals. It's just general. But those people that you didn't know, you might know of, you felt something 
when you saw those images, when you saw them. So I want you now to make it more personal. Specifically with judgment. When you feel judgment. Who is it in your life personally that you experience, that you actually confront, that you see, that you know, that you struggle with, or that you feel just naturally, you feel judgment. For my father, I remember growing up, his one thing, he, he, everything could slide, but if you lied, he hated liars. My dad would not lie, and if someone called him a liar, he was ready to fight, and I never saw my dad ready to fight. But for my dad, if someone lied, there was judgment right away. So I want to give you a moment. I want you to think about it, not in general, but personally, when is it that you experience and have that feeling of judgment? And who do you see and who do you feel mercy for? Make it personal. Get someone's face in your mind. Don't check it out. Think through that right now. The truth is that all the people that we saw the image of, all the individuals that came to your mind, that Jonah, that we, that the Ninevites, that all those people deserve judgment and ultimately death. But God. But God. They all deserve this judgment. They all deserve death. But God. But God, through our repentance, offers all of us, all of them, every one, single one of them, in your mind, on the screen, all of them, God offers mercy. But we tend to lean in one direction or the other, depending on our backgrounds, depending on our, in, our experiences. Do we tend to move to this place of judgment or we tend to move to this place of mercy? Uh, we went, tend to go one way or the other. And I want you to think about how it is that you tend to lean. Because nobody's right down the middle. Nobody's perfect, okay? God is right down the middle. God is both at the same time. But we, we're sinful. We're broken. We're a mess. And we tend to lean in one direction or the other. And I would say that either direction at the neglect of the other is not biblical. And our response of judgment is usually for those people. Those people. We're quick to judge. Whoever those people are for you. Those people in our lives. And what I want to be clear about is those people, those 
nasty people, those awful people, those, ugh, those people, for Jonah and for the Israelites, were Ninevites. Were those in the city of Nineveh. They were those people for Jonah and for the Israelites. The Ninevites were, they were brutal and they were brilliant. They were extremely violent and yet they were renowned for their skills, uh, for their skills, their war skills, their ability to conquer. They had slaughtered and enslaved countless people and they oppressed the poor. They were historically famous then and they are actually historically famous now. Uh, the world has not seen much like the Ninevites. They were one of the most extreme examples of injustice that the world has ever seen. They would capture their enemies. They would enslave their enemies. They would skin their enemies and they would put them outside the city and make their... They would cut off one arm so they could still have one hand to shake their enemy's hand as they sat there and died. They were violent. They were cruel. They were ruthless. They were oppressive. They would take advantage of anyone and everyone. Those were the Ninevites. They were those people. And they were the absolute hated enemies of Israel. And so I want us to have that in mind as we walk through chapter 3. I want us to have that in mind as we consider what was God's original direction to Jonah in chapter 1. And now as Jonah is literally thrown up out of the fish, What's his second word, this word that comes to Jonah again in regards to the Ninevites? So let us read Jonah 1. We're going to read verse 1 through 2 to remember what God told Jonah originally concerning the Ninevites. And then we're going to read Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 to see how God's word comes again to Jonah concerning those people, these Ninevites. So chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. And now verse 1 and 2 in chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Now to give you perspective. Uh, never in history to this point had God ever sent a prophet to non-Israelites. Never had he sent his prophet to speak to directly those that weren't a part of Israel. And he was sending Jonah to this Gentile city, to this people, to give them warning, to warn the Ninevites, to preach against the Ninevites. And in this preaching against, Jonah knew that that also meant 
they would have the opportunity for God's mercy. Because Jonah knew that God's judgment leads us to this point of death and repentance, but it results in God's mercy. And so Jonah, knowing, I'm going to go to those people and I'm going to preach or proclaim against them, I'm going to preach this judgment. If I do that, then it might put them on this path to receive God's mercy to those people. And so he ran in the opposite direction. But now Jonah has gone through the same process. And now Jonah has experienced God's mercy. And now God says, now I want you to go back and proclaim the message I gave to you. Proclaim it to those people. So Jonah goes, but he sort of partially goes. And he sort of partially speaks the message. And he sort of partially obeys. He partially proclaims. Jonah is, in my perspective, my opinion, still very resistant to embrace the fullness of his God who might be merciful to these people. And we'll get to that. But I want us to Focus first on what Jonah focuses on and what God's Word presents first. I'm pretty sure Jonah felt judgment. He didn't feel mercy when he saw those people. And so I want you to look at verse 3 and 4 in chapter 3. What does Jonah do? with God's direction, with God's command. It says, it says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So Jonah goes, but, but he, goes, he goes into this city that takes three days to cross. He only goes in one day, and he proclaims this message that in Hebrew is only five words, and then Jonah steps back out. I went, God. I did it. I technically obeyed. I went. I spoke that, and now I'm getting out. I'm done. Mission accomplished. That's how my children obey me at times. Oh, yeah, Dad, I did exactly what you said, Poppy. But I know and they know and you know. Well, sort of. Technically, I can't get in trouble. Technically, I obey. But I didn't embrace, right? I didn't trust you. I didn't obey you fully. Look at the sermon in chapter, or verse 4. What's missing? What's missing from this sermon? There's no mention of God. There's no mention of repentance. There's no mention of why. There's just a time frame, 40 days, and you will be destroyed. Do you think Jonah was holding back? Do you think he just wanted to focus on the judgment that he felt? 
There's nothing more that's said. I think it's intentional that the author, that it's only five words, like this is incomplete, this is partial, what Jonah spoke. It's not, what can't imagine that this in its entirety is what God spoke to Jonah to go speak to the Ninevites. In 40 days, you're going to die. It doesn't make sense. But it is a part of the message. It's a part of this message. And I believe it's a part that as we proclaim God to others, this part that includes judgment is something that we tend to overlook. Specifically in our culture and even in our church culture. And so I just want us briefly to stop. Uh, not, not that we're going to end there, right? This is just a part of the conversation. This is just a part of the message. But that we would actually consider why is it that God has determined that this, that this judgment is a part of His full message. Let me read verse 4 again. And then I want to read verse 9. Because verse 9 gives perspective on how the Ninevites received even this brief, short message. Okay, how they understood it. So I want us to see what Jonah said again, and then how did they receive it? How did they perceive it? Verse 4. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, verse 9, this is the king saying, Who knows, God may yet relent with compassion, turn from his fierce anger, so that we will not perish. So whether Jonah was completely obedient or not, what the Ninevites understood was that this was a warning of, from God to the Ninevites of their destruction, of their death, because of, as a judgment of, their evil ways and violence. That's what was spoken, that's what was understood. I want us to consider judgment. Do you guys believe is judgment positive or negative? By the looks on your face, and as I've preached through this so far, it looks like it's very, very negative. Is anyone excited that we're preaching and understanding judgment this morning? Anybody? Are you wishing, well, I wished I might have just stayed at home or something else would have come up or, you know, to sit here and have to listen and consider God's judgment. That's not why I came here. So, judgment is positive. Raise your hand. Judgment is negative. Raise your hand. And the rest of you? You have to choose. Okay? You have to choose. Okay? Judgment is positive. Raise your hand. It makes you feel good. Raise your hand. Okay? Judgment is negative. It makes me feel bad. Raise your hand. You all just made a judgment. Right? You all just made a judgment about judgment. 
You all just determined if it was good or if it was bad, if it was positive or if it's negative. How does it feel to you? I'm going to decide, I'm going to make my own judgment about judgment. But judgment is a defining and a determining by God. Not by us. Judgment is not up to you. Judgment is not up to me. Judgment is not up to us. I don't trust you and you shouldn't trust me with judgment. That's for God. God is the judge and God determines and God has communicated that to us of what is right versus what is wrong. What is good versus what is evil. And if you believe that some things are right and some things are wrong and some things are evil and some things are good, then you believe in judgment. Right? Then you're embracing judgment. You actually need judgment. Not your judgment, I would say, but God's judgment. What does He say is right and wrong? What does He say is good and evil? So you all are judges. Okay? You may not like it, but you are. I want us to be convinced of that. Because if there is no judgment, there is no hope for our world. If there is no judgment, then there is no hope for us. Because if we believe that we are messed up, if we believe that this world is messed up, that this world has gone wrong, that I have gone wrong, then there's no way for me to be made right, for the world to be made right. If I don't believe in this wrong and the right, this what's been broken that could be restored, then I don't believe in judgment. And there's no hope. We are how we are, and nothing will change, and this is us. No hay esperanza de que cambie nada. If the world has gone wrong, it needs to be made right. So what is the opposite of judgment? Mercy. Love. Acceptance. Don't judge me. Love me. Accept me. Right? I would say that's inconsistent thinking. As I was reading one author, that's sloppy thinking. That the opposite of judgment is acceptance. I would say the opposite of judgment is apathy. I don't care. I don't. I don't know. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. I'm completely apathetic about it. I will not make uh, any discernment or a decision. I'm just neglecting. What if God decided to just not care? What if God decided to just neglect? us and our brokenness, us and, and this world and its brokenness. He just neglected said, that's just how it is and that's just how they are. And you know what? Who am I to say that that's right or wrong? It's just how we are. I'm not going to make a judgment. I'm just going to neglect my children. I'm just going to be apathetic about what they do and don't do. I don't care. 
Now, if you're a parent and you don't care about your kids and what they do or don't do, you have issues. Then you're apathetic. Then you're neglectful. You're not loving. Judgment is a part of love. And as I say this, none of this sounds good to me. But as I reflect on this, and as I meditate on this, and I realize who I am and who God is, I realize I actually, yes, I want there to be some sort of judgment of good and wrong, of right and wrong, good and evil. I, I, we need that. And God has intervened and has spoken that because He loves me and because He cares about us. And because he wants something different for us and because he's going to restore us and it doesn't stop here but it continues to this point of repentance and it results in God's mercy. But God. And if you don't start here then there's no need for but God. There's no need for repentance. And there's then no experience of his mercy because I don't care. I've completely neglected judgment. I will not consider that. That's wrong. That's evil. It feels awful. Forget that. I'm just going to focus here on mercy. Mercy, 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 which is, I don't care. And that's just as a big a mistake as staying here in judgment and judgment and judgment, but never moving or offering repentance and mercy. They're both incomplete. My foster son was neglected and neglected and neglected. It was not loving. And now as we care for him, and as he's in situations where he gets excited, where there's other people around, if anything does not go his way, or there's too much stimulus, his response is to bite. And I think God knew that, so he lost six teeth before he came to us, because God knew he's going to be a biter, and he's actually missing six teeth, so he bites. It's bad, but it's not, you know, terrible. No one's gotten sent to the emergency room. And he bites without thinking, and he just responds with biting, and he just can't help himself, and he bites his sister, and he bites his friends in preschool, and he just bites, and he bites his brother and sister at home, and he bites. No big deal, Capri. It's okay. Bite away. Who am I to say you shouldn't bite? Who am I to say you shouldn't hit and kick and, and bite your sister? Who am I to say you shouldn't do that to your friend at preschool? Who am I to say, I'm just not going to make a judgment here. I'm just going to neglect him further and not care for him and not intervene. What would you say about me? You say, take that kid out of your home. You're neglecting him. He needs to be placed with another family. Someone who would intervene. Someone who would care for him. Someone who would redirect him. Someone who would teach him. You can't do that. That's not good for you. That's not good for them. But we don't like it when 
God's determination of what's right or what's wrong, what's good or what evil comes to land on us. We can stop and you can see that that's a good thing. As I care for my son, but it's not a good thing for us at times. That's how we feel. But I would say God's judgment is actually an expression of His love for us. It's an expression of His care for us. It's an expression of His concern for us. And if we believe that, if we believe that, then we would proclaim His judgment as a part of our message to ourselves and to others. As a part to ourselves and to others. But we're partial. We tend to apply it differently to different groups. Differently to ourselves, differently to our family, differently to those people that I can relate to, and differently to those people over there, or those people that I saw, or those people that came to my mind. I'm not going to apply this judgment in the same way because I'm partial. But God is impartial. God's judgment applies to us and it exposes us. We can get defensive, we can even get angry with God. But I want to convince you this morning that our core issue is not that we have an issue with judgment. But our issue is that we're not the one making the judgment. That it's not that there's a determination of right and wrong, of good and evil, but that I don't get to fully define it. It's not up to me, it's actually up to God. And if I am going to proclaim judgment, I'm not proclaiming my judgment, my perspective, my partiality. I'm claiming His judgment. And what He has said about me, and what He has said about you, and what He has said about them, and what He has said about those people too. All of us. We don't escape. We're all exposed to His judgment. And it's difficult for us to believe that, to trust that, that God's judgment is good. And that my judgment is not superior to His. That's what I struggle with. That's what our, our culture struggles with. But it requires faith to believe, faith to accept, and faith to proclaim God's judgment. This is hard stuff. I would have liked to cover chapter 3 in one Sunday. Mention this, move past this, but not like explore this or consider this and, and dig into this. But I believe that it's something that we need to hear as I prayed through this. I'm like, no, I need to consider this. We need to consider this. 
Because see, God's word is a mirror. It's a mirror to us. It accurately reveals our reality. The reality of who we are. The reality of who others are. It reveals our actions, our behaviors. It even reveals our hearts, our attitudes, and our thoughts. But the issue is, is that if God's word is a mirror, we tend to hide from it. If I hold the mirror here, will I ever see myself in the mirror? But can I bring it up to you? Can you see yourself in the mirror? No, but I can't see myself. And I'm just going to hide from it. And, and you guys can see yourself, but I'm going to hide from the mirror. And I'm actually not going to go in front of the mirror myself because I don't want this to apply to me the way it applies to you or especially the way it's going to apply to those people. And so we either hide from it or we get excited about it and we go to those people and we hide behind it. Here's the mirror, right? Don't take your eyes off this mirror. I want you to see and to experience this judgment. Don't take, come on, Ashley, come on, right here. Be judged, be judged. But not me, not me. I'm hiding behind it. Does that make sense? When we should consider God's word together. I can see Ashley. Can you see me? Mm-hmm. And she can see me. And we're both reflecting and being seen, exposed. Like, you're judged, I'm judged, we're all judged, I'm no different. We're all exposed. And so I want you to think about how is it that you handle God's judgment? You either hide from it Let's just act like it doesn't exist. Let's just neglect it. I'm going to put this up in the closet, in the bathroom. No one will ever have to use it. But that's neglect. That's apathy. I don't care. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care what your thoughts are. I don't care how your heart is. Or we can hide from it as we show it to others, or we can hide behind it. What is it you tend to do? But we can't neglect it. We have to consider, and we have to begin with this part of the message for ourselves and for others with others, together. It moves to repentance. It ends in mercy. But it begins with this reality of judgment. God's goal of judgment is repentance. That's the point of judgment. It's not for your shame. It's not for your hiding away. It's not for your to be able to beat someone else with. It's for your repentance. The goal of God's judgment against Jonah was his repentance. The goal of God's judgment against the Ninevites is repentance. 
And it's the goal of God's judgment against us. So remember, this message is incomplete. This message is partial. We've just begun this conversation. And we're going to come back to this conversation. We, we spent all day here today on this section on judgment. We're going to spend the next time on repentance, on what it means to repent, to turn. As we consider and look back at how Jonah turned and as we look at how the Ninevites repent and turn. And then we'll get to, it'll lead us to God's mercy. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word that your word has purpose, that your word speaks truth. Señor, gracias que tu palabra nos habla de la verdad. And that your word requires our humility to understand. God, I pray that you would help me, that you would help us to get over ourselves. Get over our judgment of right and wrong, our judgment of good and evil, and that you would give us faith to believe, faith to trust you and your judgment. And that we could trust that your judgment would lead us, would lead others to repentance, and in that place of repentance, we would experience new life. That we would experience your mercy. That we would be able to say and we'd be able to proclaim, but God. But God applies to us. But God applies to those that we love. And but God applies to even those people. Whoever those people are for us, Lord, I pray that you would make that known to us, that we would consider that, Lord, that you would reveal that to us as we move forward and as we consider your repentance and as we consider your mercy, as we continue in this story, Lord, as the, the Ninevites become more and more in focus and we see Jonah's response and Jonah's perspective towards them, you would prepare us for that. That we would not just proclaim your judgment, but that we would offer your repentance and we would speak of your mercy. God, help us to fully embrace your full message and help us to fully proclaim your full message. But as Jonah said, as he was still in the fish, I will proclaim your salvation. God, help us to think honestly about these things. Humble us with your word. In Jesus' name. Amen.